A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bullheader Podcast. It is now March 2nd, soon to be March 3rd. Actually, it is March 3rd, it's past midnight. Um, just recorded the podcast with two um, very seasoned NFBC veterans and John Posmer and Doug Gruber. Uh, they have won several overall championships in both baseball and football and yeah they're extremely well seasoned and playing the NFC format and um been playing fantasy game for a while now so I've uh, got them both on the show to discuss some of their ins and outs of how they like to evaluate players how they like to build teams um and the history of fantasy from their lens and seeing how um Doug was talking about the CDM challenge that is now the Diamond Challenge on the NFBC and how they used to call in the lineups on the phone. This is in 1993 in USA Today. I just think it's fascinating. It really hit me like how far we came into this world like um, and with technology and the fact that they didn't receive their... You know, he won the overall... Uh, Doug Gruber did won the overall for that league in 1993 and it was over a thousand people and he did not know he won the overall until two or three or four days after the season ended when they computed the stats and actually mailed people the result Um, I just think it's fascinating now like no one would ever sign up for a league in this world where you couldn't find out the results for a couple days um, so it's really cool to see how far we've come in the game and how far we can maybe go in the future. But yeah, it's spring training is here. It's great to absorb some baseball. You know, there's already a ton of of news. I'm sure everyone's keeping up to date with mining the news and checking out MLB.com for uh, team write-ups or an athletic, however you like to track your teams. Um, or if you're watching them as well on the MLB package, it's also great. And it's here. Baseball's here. It's good to see people in the stands. It's good to see the teams playing each other rather than themselves. Uh, I feel like it's very uplifting for sports and for society, you know, to see that, you know, the world's starting to, even though we're far from being where we need to be or where we probably want to be, it's still a good sign. It's still... um, like to take the optimistic view on we're getting closer to returning to that place where we were so very short time ago but it seems like forever so um yeah baseball makes it better at least for me it does and probably for most of the listeners would agree that baseball season is uh 
you know, it symbolizes something more than just a sport starting over for us in April and ending in November. It's it's way deeper than that, and it's why we're all so crazy about it. So, hope everyone's getting involved with some drafting, and you know, whether it be your home leagues or NFBC leagues. Um, yeah, it, it, this is this is the time. It's time to get in and get involved and start getting at it. Um, been a little busy in TGFBI, which is my first year playing, and it's pretty cool um, getting to be involved with a league with a bunch of analysts. And Justin Mason does some great work putting it together. And um, Smata has an excellent ADP chart that can be found on his pin tweet on um his profile on twitter and pretty cool to see the trend of the league's drafting um a lot of work's going into letting everyone see um where the players are getting picked some projected standings for the overall this it's it's awesome it's job well done by everyone involved with it and um yeah we're through nine rounds in my draft i know some other teams um, and some other leagues aren't going that fast, so, uh, <laughs> and they've been very vocal about it, so, yeah, TGFBI is out there, the podcast bracket tournament is complete for the night, um, actually haven't checked the results of my matchup, but I'm gonna do it right now, because I haven't seen it yet, and here we go, so, Final vote is in. Pull hit a podcast wins 71% to 29% over Lenny's Daily. And I'll be facing Prospect 1 in the next round with a upset win over Rotowire MLB. So, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Um, keep going on. Sweet 16, baby. Wasn't in the game last year. Now in Sweet 16. Feels awesome. Um, thank you guys for supporting the show. And voting for the Poor Hitter Podcast. Um, means a lot. Means more than you know. So yeah. We got that. Get that TGFBI. A lot of action. There's pretty much. Um, content is ramped up to the max right now. So hope everyone's enjoying. Um, what's out there. You know. This is it. Baseball time's here. So. Let's get into the show and enjoy. And you can hear us fine. I can hear you fine. All right. All righty, folks. Welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Thanks for joining again once tonight. Um, I'm joined by two um, big-time NFBC veterans, uh, Mr. John Posma and Doug Gruber. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, Rob. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm uh, feeling excited to get to to chat, continuing my um, you know, tendency to sit down and pick the brains of some of the most successful players in the NFBC forum. So I'm glad to be able to sit down with you guys and pick your brain tonight. That's Doug, how are you feeling? Rob, so thanks for inviting and we're looking forward to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for reaching out and um, you know, telling me you guys listened. Uh, John, it was so funny. Um, my good friend Phil Duso, when you commented on, um, you know, the fact that you like my podcast, it was so funny because he was like, you know, John barely comes on. He doesn't have a photo on Twitter. He comes <laughs> on and he leaves one comment a month and he happened to, 
you know, comment on like how good he liked your podcast. And he goes, you should take that as a big compliment. And I'm like, <laughs> I think you're right, Phil. I'm like, <laughs> I felt good about that. So um, again, thank you. Thank you guys for joining me. Um, are you guys um, live in any drafts right now? You got anything going on? I actually do. I have a uh, 150 DC going on uh, right now. That's about 10, 12 rounds into it. And, um, but other than that, no. Hey, I don't have any going right now. I'm, uh, I think I'm done with the DCs for the year and uh, just doing the express or uh, OCs, I think. So some cut lines, nothing live right now. So Rob, to give you, you know, more on John and, and the compliment, I mean, he, in my opinion, leads the world in listening to podcasts. And when, <laughs> and when he first heard yours, he says, man, you got to listen to these. And he would send it to me and we've been listening ever since. And um, so it's not surprising that he reached out because we really enjoyed what you've had so far. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And that's what I find like the most gratifying out of all this is, is just like hearing how people enjoy it. And, you know, um, especially like successful players like yourself, but even, you know, um, just getting DMS from people on Twitter that just, just got in started in fantasy baseball. And it's pretty cool. It's really, um, like I said, it's extremely gratifying to like, you know, hear some good feedback makes me want to do it more. So I'm glad, I'm glad you guys have been enjoying it. So John, um, how many podcasts do you listen to a day? <laughs> no, I think Doug exaggerated a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I I didn't really listen to them until maybe last year, a couple, and then this year I've listened to quite a few more. Um, but yeah, so I, I got I kind of like uh, your style with uh, you're just talking to guests, and I kind of like that, and I respect a lot of the guests that you've had on. And but I I do enjoy quite a few of the other ones as well, and uh, I maybe listen to one a day, maybe something like that. Awesome. Cool. Do you feel like it, it, it it's um, also like an efficient way to absorb in, like information if you're not really sitting down to like do an article or like what what do you feel like you get the most out of it when you listen to a podcast? Yeah, there's usually just something that comes up that I didn't think of. Uh, a lot of smart people uh, talk baseball and right. I generally pick up something that I didn't think of. And other times I just fall asleep and don't remember what was said. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But it just seems like, you know, if you get on the elliptical machine or, you know, I got a place up north that, you know, you drive to, it's great to, you know, turn one of them on. And um, as opposed to listening to some music, that's not going to help us in the fantasy world. So. <laughs> right. No. And I think it's totally right because, you know, I, uh, I think the best thing about having podcasts available and even for anything, like any type of you know genre that you're into if you're into like murder mystery stuff or you can skip the radio and the commercials and you could just listen right. to what you know like what you want to and you know I just remember the old days of you know screaming like at you know Mike and the Mad Dog like you guys don't know what you're talking about and like now you can actually go on Twitter and yeah. tell them that they're terrible you know so <laughs> it's a it's a totally different world but you can listen to you know the content that you want to fill your time with so um pretty cool um so doug um i hear that you um just won the you know off the fantasy baseball you just won the um fantasy football online championship this year overall yeah somehow i ended up on the top but uh, <laughs> oh, wow that's true i don't know if that's going to help me uh here tonight <laughs> or in the baseball season but, what's the uh, field how big was the field 
you know, the feel like I'm sure you felt when you won the DC last year, <laughs> it's, it's just amazing, right? That yeah. Uh, you yeah. play these sports to um, fantasy games to have a chance at the end. And um, that's what it's all about. And, and the thrill of the last few weeks, knowing that you're in contention and then to actually have it uh, come to, you know, fruition. Um, I do view the, the baseball a lot harder to win than the, than the football. So yourself and John, who have won recent championships here, you know, I really admire what you guys have accomplished, but I certainly feel good about the football win as well. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, but I, I, I've seen by your historical standing that you're no slouch in baseball either. <laughs> um, so there's been, I mean, you're being pretty modest there, but I also see you guys share a lot of teams as well, right? Am I, am I correct that you guys share some teams or no? Uh, no, we don't officially share any teams. Oh, okay. we, we do a little bit. Uh, we share in the sense of uh, we help each other out with fab and we try to avoid each other in, in our leagues. Right. But, Right. We it's just good to have somebody to bounce off uh, fab ideas and, you know, share tips and that kind of thing. So Got that, it. that works out well. Awesome. And John, you won the main event overall, right? In baseball? I did. 2018, I won the main event in NFBC. Yep. Nice. Fantastic. And um, how, how, like, when did you take over first place? How long did you hold on to that lead for? Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember exactly. I, I had a good team quite a bit uh quite early on it was good and uh i did jump in the end i think it was three four weeks left um funny story i i i right down to the end i was going it looked like i was going to win it uh, that last weekend friday saturday of course all the games start at the same time on sunday uh but then there's this extra game 163 it goes oh. to that of course but i I had a pretty good lead at that point. I don't, I didn't feel like I was going to lose it on Monday, but of course anything can happen, but I was still second place in my league. Wow. So that was crazy. So it took that game 163 to win the league. Brinkman, Kyle Brinkman was ahead of me in my league and it took a story home run and a Yelich stolen base or vice versa on that Sunday for me to, to jump from second to first in my league. And yeah, I was still first in the overall. So it was kind of wow. crazy. I had to try to calm him down. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we help each other, especially if we get a team in contention in the overalls. And um, I think I was more nervous down the stretch than, than John was. But, <laughs> but you know, I uh, do all the math and I kept telling him that, uh, you know, this is a lock you, uh, you have it made. But of course, you, you never want to feel that way, right? You know, <laughs> right. Count too early and, um, and, you know, it was a great accomplishment, a great team that he had. I, t I totally agree with you with that feeling of, of like, I had, you know, um, I know my wife was asking me, so like, how, you know, how is, what's your chances of winning? And, you know, I would just be talking to my friend on Twitter, you know, some, some fellow analysts, you know, as well. And they're like, bro, you got a good lead, you know? And I'm like, nah, nope. Nah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, man, you're, you're up by 1200 points with three days left. I'm like, nope. No, like, I don't believe it. Don't tell me that, you know? So it's, uh, uh, it's funny. It's funny. He said that you did the math for him to let him know just to, <laughs> just for some confirmation, right. That, um, it's pretty crazy. I didn't know what to feel like when it ended, um, the Ryan Bloomfield and baseball HQ DM me and congratulated me. And I remember asking him like, how do you know it's over? And it's like, cause, 
because baseball's been over for two hours, he told me, Rob. Like, and I'm like, so, like, no one called me. You know, it was, like, weird. weird. It was such a, a real feeling. So, um, it's awesome. So, three, you know, um, three overall winners here on one podcast. This is uh, pretty impressive. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping um, I've been telling my my fellow analysts that um, I compare myself to like Randy Rosarena. Like I came out hot, but now, now I got to prove that, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Now I got to prove that I, I belong. So hopefully uh, I can continue on that path because, you know, I think we know, right. This game is so um, it treats us pretty cruel sometimes when we tend to think uh, that we figured everything out, but that's right. It's, yeah. <laughs> so all it takes last year. All it takes is like my main events teams last year where I drafted Justin Verlander in the uh, first round to know that uh, that all of a sudden reality can come in and things can go crashing down. So. Right, right, yeah. Um, um, I had one experience in the main event this year, um, so I'm looking forward to this year. Riding that ship a little bit. I'm going live in New York, so it should be interesting. I'm pretty excited. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys heading any to the live draft at all? Uh, I'm going, well, uh, I'm in, I live in the Chicago area, so I'll be doing that one. If it happens right now, it's about seven or eight signups. So we're about half full. So hopefully we get a few more signups and we can do Chicago. And then uh, I'm going, planning on going to Vegas for the live uh, events in Vegas. Yeah. Likewise. So John and I are going, you know, together and, um, and we have a pretty full schedule in uh, Vegas between the main events and the auctions if, if they fill. So we're looking forward to it. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, I know you guys play a, play, uh, a wide range of um, um, the main event and the, uh, the supers and auction championships. It's um, There's so many great formats that um, the NFBC, you know, has available. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And like I said, w- w- I made it a goal to, you know, to like try and play in the NFBC and like winning home leagues. I'm like, okay, I'll build a bank for all my home leagues. And I like these leagues here. And um, once you play on the site and get used to it, it's really, <laughs> you know, it really draws you in. It's just, yeah. it's so well done. You know, the contest, the well run, the, the fabbing and the player search, everything is just so neat. It's, it's like, you know, it's so seamless to, you know, to work on. So um, I'm really I'm really sucked in now. <laughs> um, so w- when did you guys get started playing on fantasy baseball? Um, tell me about your path to, uh, you know, to playing. When do you, when did you start? Yeah, yeah Doug. I'll go, uh, here because I was reminiscing today that I rem- my first overall championship was, was in the sports weekly diamond challenge. Wow. And I know the year because it was 1993 because my son was uh, born that year. And back then you called your lineup changes in by phone. Wow. On on Wednesdays, you found out in the USA Today Sports Weekly, you know, what the standings were. Wow. And and you received updates uh, in the mail. There was no online. There was no (laughs) immediately following. And I didn't know until the Monday afternoon when the season ended, when they called me that I had won because there was no way (laughs) to know you could keep, 
you could keep track of your own players, but you had no idea what anybody else was doing. So uh, every week was a surprise as to where your standings were and whether it was a good week or a bad week. But that's that's how long ago, 90, 93, and, uh, you know, what a difference it is uh, here today. Yeah, wow. And and that's fascinating. So did you, like, know your score, but just didn't know everyone else's score? Did you hand track your score, or you didn't even? Yeah, I mean, I'm a math finance guy, so of right. course I knew every point I had <laughs> scored and would try to figure out the best that I, uh, you know, could. Right. But there was no, you know, you didn't have statistics like today of, uh, you know, percent ownership of, players, players yeah. you know, access to the rosters of, you know, people that were, uh, you know, competing against you, those sorts of things. So right. we really didn't know. Right. And so it, it, it's pretty wild to think of like how far it's come and like what, where it can go next. Right. You know, like, like what can it be 20th from now? Um, it's pretty fascinating. John, when did you start playing? Uh, I started, uh, uh, 1985, I think uh, I started. It was a. I went to college and hooked up with a few buddies there that wanted to play some fantasy baseball. Uh, it was a. I think it was on a site called Sandbox. You ever anybody ever heard of that? It's a points league sandbox. I don't know. It was one of the sports uh, fantasy things back then. Yeah. I remember uh, doing the draft and drafting Jeff Bagwell, and he was a rookie. Like everybody was like, "Who?" And wow. Uh, yeah, he was my prized rookie pick, and uh, he ended up getting called up for Boston, I think, at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was great. But, uh, yeah, so I started then, and then uh, at some point along the way, I uh, my buddy Jack Hahn, who's a big NFFC football player, uh, invited me to go to one of the NFFC events. He said, hey, I'm drafted on Saturday. Why don't you stop by? It was in Chicago at the Rosemont uh, Marriott, I think. And there's this big room of all these players. Like I'd never seen anything like it. These tables, there's like five or six tables of people drafting. And, and then I found out they did it for baseball as well. So then uh, since then, I've been doing football and baseball uh, pretty regularly since then. It's so fascinating how just like getting getting around the table, right? With yeah. with with, <laughs> with everyone who shares the same drive as you to craft this like big team together. You know, it's it's amazing. Like it's it's really uh it, it's really uh I would love I wouldn't love to be more addicted to anything else. You know, like it's just <laughs> it's 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 the perfect thing. It's just it keeps you sane. It's it it keeps you out of trouble for the most part. You know, <laughs> so um. Hey, Doug, oh. your, uh, your USA Today story kind of reminds me of, uh, I would go, like, there was this, at the beginning of the year, there was a the fantasy publication from the USA Today. It was like a preview for the season, and it was like the biggest, the best thing you could get in terms of uh, fantasy literature at the time. And I would remember going to, like, all the White Hen pantries in the area, which I don't even think White Hen exists anymore, but... Uh, yeah, I would go to like seven or eight different stores and uh, try to find this this magazine. Is it out yet? Is it out yet? Page me if you get it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know we're sounding old tonight, but uh, that, those were fun times too and just changed so much, right? I, well, crazy. The, the USA Today was the only place you could get all the boxes yeah. to even keep track of it. And, um, right. 
Yeah. So, so for, so when you said like you picked a guy like Jeff Bagwell, who's like a up and coming rookie, like where did you get that info? That was all in the USA Today as well. Or was it like other? Yeah. Types- I, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Yeah. It must be. It wasn't on a podcast. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Like, um, I remember consuming like it's before I even played fantasy when I was younger. Like my brothers used to read like the Street and Smiths, you know. And obviously oh, it wasn't yeah. like geared for like fantasy, right. but you know right. it still had all the teams listed, you know, with the depth charts. And I used to, yeah. I used to love sitting down and speeding through all those for every sport too, you know, for basketball, for college basketball, for everything, you know, before um, everything became digital. And uh, but uh, it, it's pretty fascinating. It's like you know, I can't, I can't imagine. You imagine like you. You had to play in the league right now, and you everyone understood that you wouldn't, you know, you couldn't get the scores, and, and you know, until like a couple of days later, nobody would sign up. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Well, it was a crazy in- industry because it was amazing how many uh, people were in it. I, you know, I there was certainly, you know, at least a thousand in that overall I won back in in '93, and um, wow. You know, so it, it was certainly a, an up and coming uh, industry that uh, people were latching on to. And, um, and obviously it's become just a mega business here today. So so you said you just change your lineup on the phone. So what, like if you so how did that work? Like what was the actual process of, of like inputting a player's name or a position? Like how did how did that happen? Well, you actually talk to a live person. So oh, really? This oh, became, I think the uh, precursor to CDM, I may be wrong there, but, um, you know, you would call on the phone and people, you know, that ran the contest were actually on the other end. So you would tell them, uh, you know, who you wanted to substitute in and out of your lineup. And then wow. they would give you, you know, a confirmation number and uh, then they would mail you a confirmation, you know, so that, you know, those records existed. So um, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm really fascinated about all this. This is great. This is uh, it's like history lessons, you know, like on the fly. It's awesome. That's really cool. So, wow. So you guys have built up a, 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 a this whole memory bank of, of players and, and stats. So um, I'm interested to know like how you guys, um, you know, evaluate your players. Um, I know there's different ways of approaching, you know, player evaluation out there. People are like a projection based with SGP or, you, you know, you got the you know, baseball HQ method with the Mayberry method and Ron Chandler's BAB. So I, I'm wondering how, how do you guys approach that um, with your players? Yeah, I'm mostly, I guess I'll start on that one. I'm, I'm mostly HQ guy. I, I kind of like the HQ. I love getting that forecaster going through that, um, you know, and, and I also look at some Roto-Wires projections, uh, Masters Ball. Um, I use a few different sources to look at, um, but I don't, the experts are the experts, I feel like, and I, I'm not trying to recreate projections. And everybody's pretty much got a good handle on projections, I think. And then I kind of view my job as more to pick, uh, you know, try to factor in the playing time and figure that part out. I think everybody's got a good good handle on where the player's going and, and the, the variable is really the playing time piece and where they're going to hit in the order, how many at-bats they're going to get. And, I try to listen more for that kind of stuff uh, combined with the projections. Right. Absolutely. 
Makes sense. What about you, Doug? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Babs guy, I think, as you know, Rob. So mm -hmm. I used to be uh, HQ and followed, you know, Ron Chandler and the, and the HQ team. And, and I'm a math numbers guy, finance guy at heart. And I used to do, you know, all these, what I called four decimal accurate uh, spreadsheets <laughs> and then started to realize that the uh, range of outcomes was so wide that I was, you know, being perfect on something that was very imperfect. And right. And when Ron invented the Mayberry method, that was right up my alley, despite being, you know, a math background. And, and I used that for a while, but when that evolved into uh, Babs, uh, that was even more perfect. And of course then had the balance sheet that uh, fit my, my financial background uh, also. And, um, and now I'm fortunate uh, myself and Pat Clonacy, you know, are the two writers that help uh, Ron on the, the Babs site, and it's been just so awesome learning from him and watching him continue to uh, innovate along the way. But uh, this system uh, fits me perfect in terms of, you know, broad assessments and analyzing both skills and limiting the risk on the liability side. And uh, so that's that's my, my guidance. And I use the numbers to uh, kind of make certain that we're not way off, um, but I'm, I'm really trying to accumulate uh, skills and limit the risk. Right, I think it's, I, th I think like what you said, um, just being able to see that quick ledger of, of if you're, if you're uh, rostering, you know, some maybe some bats that haven't reached that threshold of, of at bats that, you know, say their, their skills are real, you know, whether that volatility still swings or when you're rostering injury risk type of guys. And just to be able to see it um, quickly and tally it up. Um, and, you know, I think I, like when um, I was able to write a guest article on the site, I was explaining how I like to just use it and, and mock draft against myself and, um, you know, run through a whole slew of picks and just to know, like, know, okay, well, this route, um, I'm filling out a good amount of you know, assets, but I'm rostering a little too much risk. And I just do it over and over and just have a good feel for how I want to enter the drafts. And it's funny how you said it too, right? Um, so you're like a, a math, math background where you're, you know, where you're trying to be as perfect as you can, right? And then here's the system that says, no, stop trying to be so perfect. Because trying to be so perfect doesn't really get you that much closer to being, you know, using this approach, right? Yeah, I used to call it, um, you know, I was, as I mentioned, four decimal accurate, uh, you know, but not based on any reality. So, um, <laughs> well, so, you know, an interesting story. My first uh, time in Vegas, um, I drafted a team. And when I was done, uh, Sean Childs, you probably know him, you know, one of the industry uh, experts, both player and writer, you know, he looked at my team and he told me that, uh, you know, you won't be able to field a pitching staff. You have too many injured or risky players. Your bench is going to be always clogged. There's no way you can compete with that team. Right. And I'm looking there, I got Roy Halliday, you know, for, you know, real cheap and I'm feeling pretty good about it. But then I realized, you know, he was right. And uh, 
and that year that team was a disaster and <laughs> I've avoided you know all that risk ever since but the Babs you know brought a, a system and a process to really you know make that more visual to it and it fit in and you know Sean was right and Ron's right and it's just uh, it's just stuck with me ever since. Right. Yeah. And I love it for the fact that it allows me to um, get a, a quick a quick overview of guys that I'm immediately going to take a deeper dive into. So I feel like it's it makes me more efficient in my player evaluation. Like if I want to go down a fan graphs page after after I see, um, hey, you know what? I'm thinking like I was thinking a little bit different on this guy. So why bad? show me something different and then I can deeper dive instead of just having to do it for everyone. You know, I can immediately say, nah, I'm not going to go for this guy. The market's saying it's not right here. So I'm el I'm eliminating a lot of the pool that I can just cut to the chase to the guys I really want to target. I'm probably a little less Babs than the two of you guys are, but I do, I do, enjoy, I do use it. I do look at it. Uh, I generally use Rotolab as software for drafting. And then of course that, you can plug in the Babs into that and see the, the asset skills. And then also this year, you can see the liability skills, which is great. And, uh, or the liability, not skills, but liability ledger. And, right. uh, that, that's good to see. And it's something I, I got Verlander last year as well. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to reduce my, uh, liabilities a little bit on, uh, drafting this year. Right, right, and Roto Labs is is awesome. You know, I, it's yeah, great it's to program. yeah, it's 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 a great program. It's um, you know, um, I'm not so Excel savvy, so like being able to tally up Babs inside of, of Roto Labs is great. And then, too, like you know, even you know, there's there's a whole section to enter your SGP too, if you want to just look at that and have it handy and ha like hand in hand. You know, it's just so many capabilities on on one software that's it's pretty it's pretty good to use. And um, so, um, John, when you when you're looking when you're building your rosters, do you shoot for like a a number in a category or um like a percentile of the stats or or how are you trying to you know build your best team? Yeah, that's a, a good question, Rob. Uh, I think uh, generally I try to, the sweet spot that I shoot for is that 80 percentile of each category. I like, I'm, I definitely want a balanced team. Uh, the most, especially in an overall competition, the, the biggest bang for your dollar or the most efficiency for the points is to get to that 80 percentile of each category. You get if you go a little higher, you know, each steal you gain or each run you uh, accumulate, uh, it, it doesn't give you as many points. Uh, but going from 75 to 80, that's that's big bang for your point. But going from 80 to 85 or 85 to 90, a little bit less. So you really want to be near or at that 80 percentile mark of each category if you can. And so I, I try to draft with that in mind and, and come try to, to leave the table of the balance uh, shooting for the, that 80 percentile mark. And then uh, obviously you don't always get there and then stuff happens during the year and you got fab to go after it. But I, I try to keep that in mind for sure. Right. Absolutely. And, and what, what about um, like, how, how do you handle it in terms of um, like um, the market this year? Is, do you feel like there's something that that's different 
um, when you're approaching your valuation this year, there a category that you find is, is harder to um, identify than most recent years? Uh, what's different, I think, is just the crazy year we went through last year, right? Is right. That, what, what do you expect for this year? How's pitching going to be handled? I mean, wins are becoming scarce. Pitchers that pitch past five innings are becoming scarce, right? So it's uh, the percent of wins that are handled by pitchers. Uh, I think it was 53% or something like that. So uh, uh, that's going to probably go under 50 this year. Maybe, I don't know, but what do you think, Doug? Well, you know, I think this understanding the market is just so important. Um, and, you know, we always have to remind ourselves that, you know, the market is just the cost that it is to get the players it really isn't correlated to, you know, their value, what they may actually produce as much as we might want to think so. But uh, it's so important to to know the market in all the different contests because ADPs aren't the same in a, you know, 50-team DC draft and hold versus a 12-team online or a 15-team, you know, main event or, or auction. But um it's really knowing, you know, what players do we want to accumulate, and then, we'll, you know, what's the, you know, the cost to uh, to acquire them, and to, and to, uh, you know, to make certain that we're we got our handle on that, so that we can, uh, you know, put together the roster construction that we're really looking for. It's 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 one thing that um uh, I I was having fun with early in the season, you know how everyone always says, oh I just got the best value, you know, and I'm like, how do you know? Like <laughs> when you say that, you're assuming that you know what this player is gonna do at the end of the year, you know, like you know you you got to pick with some good profit potential, but you know, right, calling someone a value is assuming that you already know the outcome, you know. So it's just, it's just funny how we shortened it up, yeah. you know. I knew what everyone was saying, but it just you know. I think it was it was getting overused a lot, so I just thought it was funny because, you know, that's that has to do with the like taking advantage of marketplace, you know, um, the inefficiencies in it, and yeah. it's obviously the most optimal way to you know profit in a season. Um, has has there been anyone in recent memory like who was your biggest uh, anyone pop up as your biggest guy where, you know, you 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 completely you know hit on on being accurate on his. Uh, you know, where you were comfortable drafting with him, were you different than the marketplace on, and he was helpful to your team? Uh, like uh, for this year or in previous years? Or yeah, what? yeah, in previous okay. years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if I think, I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking back to that 2018 uh, team that won it all and how different it is than what a team would be today. Like my first 10, I, you know, there's so many pocket ace talk, right, and yellow push it starting pitching is pushed up so fast. And in that team that won it all in 2018, I had, I, I was in the two hole, I believe. Yeah. I took Altuve in one. And then at the two, three turn, I took uh, Noah Syndergaard in, in Yelich. And then my next pitcher, my next starting pitcher wasn't until round nine. So a wow. 15, a 15 team league with SP one at the two, three turn and SP two at the nine in nine. Like wow. you wouldn't even think about that today, right? That's how how far it's changed, right? Twenty eighteen, you said, and Altuve was number two overall. <laughs> yeah. Wow, how things have changed! Oh my God, now he's in the one hundred, and it's like I still have memories of that. That's fascinating. I did, couple, 
I did have a couple uh, relievers in there as well. So I did end up with four pitchers in the first 10, but still uh, it's just, you know, I, I'm not even thinking about waiting. Uh, nobody thinks waiting that long for your SP2 at this point, right? So. No, I think like you get crucified if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's, um, that's pretty wild. It definitely is an interesting uh, trend this year. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Doug. Last year, it was interesting. It, it felt, uh, just for me, it felt like when you got to round 10 through 13, there was a sweet spot. You could get, you know, Kenta Maeda, Corey, you know, Seeger, you know, some of those right. players that, you know, their ADP got set in that range and it just stayed there, you know, the whole, the whole year. But it, you know, it just felt like those were guys that um, could out, you know, you wouldn't really expect them to be, you know, first round sort of values, but they were guys that uh, you got excited when you got to that point of the draft to make certain that we could uh, roster them because uh, they filled so many critical needs and they provided so much upside for the team that um, right. it, was just, it was just a just how we felt in terms of the market versus uh, what we, what our expectation were for those players. Absolutely. That's such a big thing. And, um, you know, uh, last year on my draft champion team, um, I, I, I had, you know, pick five around uh, five round seven is when I picked my two pitchers and, you know, it was, but it was Bauer and Landon. It's funny because I identified them, you know, as just being guys who would pitch, like get the ball and pitch. And I drafted on March 6th, so before I knew the season was going to cut short. So it was two guys I, I felt comfortable with giving me that 200-inning mark and with K upside. And I don't see that in round five and round seven now. You know, so that's why <laughs> I make sure to get them, you know, before that. I mean, you can get some guys that maybe give you some volume, you know, like a Berrios or, um, you know, um, uh, Sunny Gray. Yeah, yeah. Or like even Wheeler, but you get in that way, like that lower K upside that, you know, that I felt like Lance Lynn last year and Trevor Bauer were, you know, much much um i thought that high upside um with k's that way but i just don't feel comfortable waiting in those rounds to take pictures this year it's an interesting it's an interesting phenomenon going on so i actually wanted to ask you guys about some of the you know some of the your tried and true metrics that you like to look at when you evaluate players um and whether or not the newer metrics if they like create noise or is it like helping you be able to you know more accurately evaluate players. So, um, Doug, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, you know, absolutely. So I can never read enough of that stuff because it's so intriguing and so many smart people figuring out, uh, you know, new ways of looking at um, how to evaluate hitters and pitchers, you know, from the stat cast metrics to, you know, mirror, mirror spin rates, uh, and so forth, but um, I'm really looking at it from a standpoint of will that help us better predict, uh, you know, who's going to do well in the fantasy world. And, um, you know, Eno Saris has done great work and you look at, you know, their stuff metrics and their command plus and um, it's all fascinating. And thus far for me, I'm kind of landing on 
I'm not certain yet that it's a better predictor for what's going to uh, to happen in the season. So I don't know if I call it noise. You know, maybe sometimes it breaks ties for me between players if somebody has, you know, better stuff or they got three quality pitches rather than two, you know, those sorts of, um, of things or, you know, they've gone up a tick or two on their velocity. But, um, but I can't say that yet those are things that would drive, you know, how I would evaluate and rank the players at the end of, of the day. So. Right. Makes sense. Don, yeah, what about you? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, there's so much stuff there. It's hard to know what to, what, what's really going to translate, what's going to be a predictor, and then also what, what's going to stick from one year to the next. And, uh, I, you know, and there's different ways to measure stuff like, uh, you got some human somewhere calling something, uh, you know, uh, a line drive or a, a hard hit event and all these kind of things. There's still a human element to quite a few of the things. And you got a changing ball. You got, there's so many different things. But in the end, I kind of like to go back to the skill, uh, you know, the Babs thing in terms of, hey, does this guy demonstrate a power? Does this pitcher demonstrate control? Does he have strikeout ability, you know, back to some of the more basic things, but uh, you know, like Doug said, on, on some of the things where you're in between a player, man, this guy really hits the ball hard or this pitcher, you know, the K, well now it's K percent instead of K per nine. Right. But uh, you know, that's uh, right. K minus walk is still probably the best one in terms of a pitcher, I think, but, and then we all get, crazy on K's right like the whole world's crazy about K's and good pitchers like Kyle Hendricks just get get overlooked I think a little bit but right no I think it's John, right about John that. Mentioned that human element I think it's so important because that command plus metric is such reliance on somebody saying is the pitcher throwing the ball where he intends to throw it whether it's a right. strike ball and Right. And I looked at, you know, I'm a diehard Cleveland Indians fan and I looked at those metrics and, you know, there's Shane Bieber at less than a hundred on that scale, you know, meaning that he's below average on command plus. And if there was ever a pitcher in my mind that, uh, you know, throws the ball where he wants to throw it, you know, it would be Shane Bieber. Right. And so then I just, it's hard for me uh, then to, you know, take that metric and say, wow, this is, really the next best thing you know we'll follow it and it'll continue to improve and evolve but right now it's uh it's not all you know based on the same scale I don't think right I, I totally agree with you guys it's I try to consume as much as I can and even if I don't feel like it can help me as much in fantasy I still love how I can have it in my brain for just watching baseball in general but yeah it's just you yeah. know I'm always wondering in my head and I'm not a, you know I'm not I don't have the ability to quantify it through math, you know, like I'm not that um, good with spreadsheets or formulas, but um, you know, it, I try to, I try to absorb as much as I can and find like when it's intuitive, right. When it's not like a forced right. thing, when I said, okay, could this make sense? Like Alex Chamberlain with like the max exit velocity, <laughs> right. you know, could that made sense? Okay. You know, this guy hit the ball this hard. He had that ability to do it and it happened early in the season. And, you know, that was kind of intuitive. Um, but it's, you know, yeah, I agree with the whole, the, you know, 
the reliance on the human element, the um, the stringers, I think that's what they're called, right, Doug? That can, you know, that mark the pitches and determine whether, uh, yeah, they use like a frame of um, a whole frame of a whole index of of pitches, saying, yeah, this pitch is normally where they want low and away to a left-handed batter, and I think that's there can be some errors in there, like you know, like you're saying with Shane Bieber not being above a hundred in a metric like that. That's a little a little off. You know, when, when John won the overall a couple of years ago, you know, he, he had Christian Yelich third round pick and, you know, he had his career year. And that was the first time when launch angle and other things were becoming popular. And we're looking at that and we love Christian Yelich, but he has, you know, a launch angle of like 7% and hits the ball on the ground. And so how's he ever going to hit the home runs and do all of these things besides have a good batting average. Right. But when he did launch it, you know, he hit it about 450 feet and he hits mm. 35 home runs. And you look at the launch angle uh, folks today and you see Yelich and, you know, Juan Soto and others that are all, you know, below 10%, which is outside of that optimal range. So it's just supposedly have power, but um you know, you can't tell me that they're not that they're not power hitters. No, you're right, absolutely. And I think I think it also like downplays their ability to put the ball to drive the ball just generally in the air, and their good contact ability and that volume of those of those shots gives them that extra chance, you know, to tally up those home runs, you know, as well because they're so good at putting the bat on the ball. But that's 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 well said, Doug, about that, you know, about the threshold that can really misguide you if you're if you're just looking at one metric, you know, only too. It doesn't tell the whole tale. Um, but I just love how, you know, the you know, um, all the all the things on on Stackcast, it's all awesome stuff, but a lot of the right. stuff that just been reading about in HQ for years, it's like, oh yeah, hard hit line balls, you know. Uh, fly balls, fly balls and line drive. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know about that. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's phrased differently. It's, it, it, it's measured differently, but it's, you know, a similar metric, right? I mean, it's something that we've been using to identify power since I, you know, started playing fantasy and, you know, and really getting into the um, analytics um, side of it without casual playing, you know, like, a, like I was for too long, just picking guys I liked. I didn't win that way. <laughs> um, so cool. So I wanted to get into some talk about, you know, roster construction, um, you know, game theory, all that fun stuff. And so the first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is how you transition from 12 team leagues to 15 team leagues and what, you know, what are the difference, what are the key elements of, you know, differentiating the two of them and, you know, how to build optimal teams, um, between the two different formats? Well, I could start with that one. Um, if you're ever having a bad day or you had a rough DC 15-teamer, just do a 12-teamer. You're going to feel great about your team. <laughs> <laughs> the 12s are so different, man. Uh, but they're, they're each their own event, uh, their own contest, and uh, you have to have a little bit different strategy on each, I think. And then in terms of just the NF. BC contest itself, uh, the 12 team or the online championship contest, uh, the Rotowire one, um, it's got a couple thousand teams. So you're really, you got to beat a lot of teams to uh, win that. And uh, 
I guess uh, the thing, a couple of things I notice is, I mean, I find myself drafting closers a little bit. You need two and a half to three in, in a 12 teamer to, to compete uh, just in the safe category to get to that 80% number. Um, so your closers will go a little quicker. Um, catchers, you know, there's only 24 drafted. So if you feel good with the bottom half, you can wait pretty long on that, but uh, pitching it goes, I don't know. What do you think, Doug? I think starting pitching still goes just as quick uh, in the 12s as the 15s. Yeah, I mean, it may even go quicker um, in some of yeah. them because people uh, know they can still build an offense. Uh, right. You know, the player pool isn't right. as, as deep. And so uh, you see a lot of people stacking up more on pitchers. The, the big differences, Rob, for me is back to when I was talking about risk. Um, it's just so much more important in a 15-teamer to, you know, to not miss on those early picks because the ability to find replacements on the waiver wire uh, throughout the season is, you know, is, there are far fewer players to, uh, to make up for mistakes or injuries and so forth. And um, so it is absolutely critical in my mind to avoid, you know, the risk, even if you have to let go some of those high upside for the fear of missing out, uh, you know, sort of disease to, to make certain that you got a team that's, um, you know, as reliable as you can in terms of both, uh, you know, playing time and, and skills and, and minimize the liabilities. So uh, you can do more in a 12 because there's more available to, uh, to yeah. make your mistakes. Right. Yeah, the, the, the fab nature of 12s, the, 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 the players that are available on fab uh, are, is so different on 12. So uh, you might take a risk. You might, yeah, you might be able to hold that minor leaguer prospect a little bit on a 12 because you can pretty much have full-time playing guys on all your other spots, whereas a 15, you can't really drop that Kiki or Taylor because you need his at you know, you need the position flexibility and you need the at-bats where it's just that the replacement isn't there on the 15s. Right. Yeah. The concentration of the talent is, is more focused in the small, in a smaller league. So you to have that differentiation, like you said, with saves, right. You know, um, it's, it, it's, it's getting, you know, it's, you, you need more to, you know, stay, stay in that 80 percentile. Like you said, I, I felt the same way in, 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 in the 12 team team uh, that I did. Um, you know, I've, I felt comfortable, more comfortable with pushing the closers up a little bit and, and going right. for them early in the draft. Um, it felt like too, it's like they're almost just as, as scarce as the, uh, as the, as the big time innings pitch pitchers, right. You know, you've got like some six or seven right now that you maybe you feel comfortable with. And then there's, there's just, there's just so shaky, you know? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like there's a line like maybe after Rosenthal, like Presley Rosenthal, that it's just, you know, what do you do from here, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, So I know Fab. So what do you do first? What Fab do you do first on the weekend? Do you do the 15 team first or do you do the 12? 
Oh, fab. Uh, the twelves, I think. Uh, well, the, another good thing about playing twelves is half the teams quit by half the halfway through the year. So uh, I think a little is different strategy. Really? Yeah, I think so. There's, uh, I think it's just a more diehard group that plays the fifteens. Uh, probably the competition's a little tougher, I think, in the NFBC fifteens than the twelves. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think twelves is a little bit more appealing to the casual player and uh, uh, you feel like you have a better team. So you feel better about your team, all that kind of thing. But so it's my experience that uh, the 12s, there's, there's a certain percent of people that give up a little bit earlier. So I, I'm a little more comfortable spending more of the fab early in the 12s and having a little bit less for those, the second half of the year, just because uh I'm competing with less people trying to, to get to win those bids in the second half of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody drafts a team, everybody's in it. Their full attention is on all the teams to start with, but then as life happens and the summer happens and such, and if your team starts fading, there's quite a few people that lose a little bit of interest. So right. you can take it it's good to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th I think it's important. I mean, the, while FAB in general is similar in, you know, all of the contests, the dynamics are so different between a 12 team, a 15 team, you know, a, an auction league, a standalone uh, sort of league. And so as you prepare for your FAB, you really have to divide them because you can't like roll from one to the other and approach right. it, uh, you know, the same way. And so, um, from who may be available, you know, somebody you may not think about in a 12, you know, is going to be a target in a, in a 15. And, um, you know, that, that sort of, uh, thing and, and a player you may stream in a 15, you wouldn't even consider in a 12 because of the risk that might uh, be involved there. But, um, and then of course, and then what you might bid on them are going to be uh, completely different because if you get a hot player in a, in a 15, as John said, the players may be overall are a little sharper, but there's more people bidding on them in a particular league. And, and in order to get those players, it's going to take a, you know, a bigger bid to go make that happen. So you got to decide whether these guys are really worth it or not. Right. Right. I feel like that's, that's the biggest thing to determine if it's if it's just uh, a two week fix, uh, a plug and play, or um, it's just one thing I struggle with in my first year. Obviously, the first you know my first experience with Fab and the NPC came in a short season, so it was a little different. But um, I feel like that's where I'm going to need to improve this year the most is the ability to pick the right price. You know, I feel like sometimes. You know, the worst thing is when you when you win the bid and it's, you see 71 and the next the runner up was three and you're like, shit, like, <laughs> what did I do? Did I do the right thing? You know, yeah, um, there's, there's so much there, Rob. Right. So I think, you know, we go back to the 80 percentile. Well, then we got 26 weeks. So now we know how much how many stats we want per category per week. So we, Doug and I, divide that out over the 26 weeks. So every week we know we need X number of runs, X number of RBIs, and then each week we tally that. So we really want to win every single week, right? So we want to have, you know, our five wins, our four saves, whatever the number is for the, the division. And then uh, 
if we're ahead of that, we get a green box. If we're behind, we got a red box, right? So we, the, the, the cell, you know, we do a little spreadsheet stuff, I would say. And uh, it's, so that way we always kind of know which categories, okay, we flipped runs green this week. We're, we're in the right track on that, that team, right? And this team, uh, we're still behind track in RBIs. We should really be thinking about who can help us in RBIs in fab. Uh, so, and then, so you, uh, you kind of team by team kind of monitor, as soon as you draft a team, you kind of know where your strengths or weaknesses are. And then that usually manifests itself as you play through the week. And then it's helpful if you track it and even if you color code it, and then you've got a, a idea of where you need to improve uh, throughout the season or throughout the next month or the next two weeks in terms of, uh, those teams, uh, what areas. And then when it comes to the fab itself, that watch list feature is a great feature on NFBC. I mean, NFBC really makes it about as good as you can get in terms of having to do fab. Um, you can mark the watch list. Uh, you can take guys off the watch list. Uh, if you see something you like, you make a note, you click the guy so that he pops up on your fab. And then you wait for Roto gut to do his uh, fab article. <laughs> uh, you know, you read the Rotowire one, and there's there's several uh, FTN guy, I for Cupperly or one of those guys. Uh, yeah, there. Matty Wood. Yeah. Yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt Davis. Yeah. 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 I've learned a lot of things from John, but you know what he just described there, Rob, is um, you know we enter the Fab weekend, if you will, with a plan in mind as to you know where are we on our teams, where where do we need help, where are we okay, and and one thing he didn't mention is, you know, we also want to spread out our money and budget what we're uh, doing here because, you know, we, we want to be able to, uh, you know, have have money available for when it really counts and also have some at the end, uh, you know, for a stretch run if, uh, if we're really in contention. And so having that all laid out, um, you know, it's just, it's just so helpful and, um, and the other tools that John mentioned, so that when we go into the fab, it's you know it's with a def definitive plan in mind. Right, that's that's a smart move. Eh? So you tally up the stats you need per week based on that 80th percentile. That's right. Yep. Got yep. it. Got it. Yep. I'm taking notes. Taking notes. <laughs> I'm writing it all down, even though I'm going to listen to it when I you know release right, the pod. So giving away the secrets. Come on. <laughs> no. Still gotta, <laughs> really, but, but really, it's three parts to win this thing, right? You got to draft a good team, and then you've got the fab, and then you've got the lineup setting, right? And the lineup setting is probably the smallest of the three, but uh, fab is for sure a, a big piece of this game, uh, and, and it's a it's a tough part, and it takes uh, time and sweat and to go through that, and it takes a lot it takes a lot of a weekend to do it, and for sure, but. Uh, after a while, you get a little quicker at it, and uh, there's little tricks and such. But you know, it's good to you got a thousand dollars of fab, right? You got 26 weeks, roughly forty dollars a week. You definitely want to have 20 at the end uh, for the last three or four weeks, uh, 20 each of those weeks, I think. So you want to enter that last month with 80 or so. Uh, so you really you know, seldom does it make sense to go for the super big bid, right? I mean, it happens and we've done it, but uh, I don't know. I think the best buys have been the ones that you look forward a little bit. Um, 
more than just the upcoming week. You notice something or you notice a shift in playing time or now this guy's not sitting versus lefties like he was, that kind of thing. And uh, you, a lot of the best buys are the, not the big dollar ones. I agree. That's such a pivotal thing to just be just be aware of, just be keen about is, you know, finding those shifts and in, in platoons and, you know, a little bit of a lineup change of, of, you know, if you get a lead on that, if you think, if you think you're strong in how you perspect in the lineup change or um, it, it's definitely, like you said, I, I found a lot of the successful bids in my main event league last year came from guys, you know, bidding low dollar and just guys just giving them great output for the week. And, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the boat here somewhere. So I, I, I'm reevaluating that this year. Um, is do you feel like um, is there anything that pops off the page, um, Doug? Like in, in terms of metric that you look at, and you when you look at a free agent, like is there something that stabilizes quick enough for you to say, you know, what this guy is showing me is real? So I'm, I'm more in on this player. You know, for me and back to uh, first and foremost, I'm looking at uh, the Babs. I want to know if the guy has the skills, first of all, to, you know, maybe be able to keep that position for the long haul. Right. Um, and of course, play in time, which is an element of that. Has that changed? Um, you know, maybe he was a part-timer to begin. And now it's, you know, he's full-time either because he's won the job or moved up in the order or those uh, sorts of things. But, uh, you know, especially with pitchers, I'm looking at skills because it's fashionable to want to stream, you know, two start pitchers, but there's nothing worse than two bad starts from a, from a pitcher. <laughs> right. And, um, you, you know, so I use the term, you know, no crappy pitchers, you know, when John and I go uh, through these things because um, they need to be of quality and, uh, and we spend a lot of time on matchups. And so, you know, maybe you can get by and try to avoid the disaster uh, sort of, you know, start or the, right. something that uh, is really going to take uh, many other good moves to recover from, you know, because of one, one really bad outing. Right. Absolutely. Um, I'm on the clock in TGFBI. Guys, I'm, I'm on the clock. I'm at, I'm at pick um, round nine, pick 126. And um, I think, I think I'm going to go Marcus Simeon here. Oh, nice. I need some speed. Um, oh, he's a PS in bad. So that's a <laughs> S at shortstop. So nice pick. There, right. And also, you know, probably going to have second base. Within the first two weeks, right? There you go. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Top of the order, right? Yeah, I, I, and 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 I think a big thing for me too is getting out of the Oakland Coliseum. You know, a big cavernous spot Um, seems to be everywhere the Blue Jays are going to play. Wherever they might play is a pretty decent hitters park, and yeah. I'm liking it. I'm like my team so far. Right, hurry, hurry up and hit go before you know your time. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I I already hit it. It's it's, it's uh, even though it's a slow draft, I, I'm still so stuck to the computer. Like, and it's, um, you know, some people I know are busy, and sometimes you know I'm not gonna drop everything just to go make a pick. But I'm conscious of when the pick is, and I want to make it as soon as possible. And I'm just. 
this the slow drafts have been catching up to me. I think in my brain, I'm just ready. Um, I did the tag team satellite event that Matthew Davis put together oh, yeah. and I teamed up with Jenny Butler and it was our first taste of a fab league with a fast clock. Right. And I was just like, Oh man, I just had one taste of it. And I'm just like, I want to go back to it right now, you know, because I feel like sometimes with these slow drafts, you know, it's great that you could still get some play evaluation in before pick and, you know, take your time. But, um, and especially in between all the picks, but sometimes I feel like I'm spending more time, in the slow draft, right. Then whether this fast draft, because it might be if to sit down in front of your computer for three, four hours straight for a fast draft. But um, sometimes I'm just sitting here, like looking at the clock, like, Hey clock, <laughs> you know, come on, make a pick, but no, you know, it's uh, it's great. I understand people have life and do more important things than, you know, wait for other people to make picks all day. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. So that's good. I like, it seems like, um, I don't know if it's a podcast too much or I draft too much because it seems like every time I'm podcasting, I'm making a pick. Uh, I'm going to go with I draft too much. <laughs> oh, man. So what do you guys have lined up for this year, the NFBC? Um, talk to me. What kind of leagues you're playing? Or is your standard slate of leagues? Are you playing anything different this year? Um, so go ahead. You guys want to share the share the stage here. All right. I'll start. I uh... I mentioned the Chicago main event. Hopefully that'll be the first main that I do. And then uh, I'll do a couple of them out in uh, Vegas and maybe one online. So that's kind of my plan on the mains. Um, auctions, if they happen, uh, I enjoy the, the auctions are a special experience for sure. And uh, a lot of fun. Um, and the uh, NFBC does that about as good as anybody, I think. And uh, they're, they're great. If you ever get the opportunity to do that, I recommend that. And then uh, a handful of online teams. I love the I love the twelve team format. Um, so I'll do my share of those, and uh, I like the cut line as well. It's a it's a fun contest. Uh, points for uh, optimal scoring best ball type of contest uh, that's new, relatively new, maybe three four years now. Um, so that and I did a couple of DCs uh, just to familiar familiarize myself with the playing pool a little bit better and. Uh, Try to be like you, Rob. <laughs> yeah, the single bullet um, champ. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's cool, though. Uh, it's so many different formats. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, see which one I like the best. Um, but, Doug, how about... Um, it's pretty similar, Rob. I mean, yeah. I, I don't do the cut line with John, but, you know, I've always done CDM. Mm -hmm. and now that's a part of the NFBC suite of games, so that's come over and... You know, it's a little different. It's not 25 team leagues now. It's 15, uh, but the payouts are a little better. But I like that uh, salary cap sort of league. I've always played that uh, historically in a, in a number of sports. And, um, and then, you know, we do like to uh, dabble, you know, one or two into uh, a higher stakes league. So maybe it was a function of winning football and I had uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I had some winnings, but, uh, you know, I entered a, an ultimate league and a, and a super league that are kind of standalone. But the challenge of going against, uh, you know, the, the best players in the industry is, you know, something that's hard to, uh, to pass up as much time and effort as we put into this. Right, right. Great point about, you know, 
noting how much time and effort that we put into it. It felt like, you know, um, as, as short as and, and crazy as the season was, we knew it was going to be last year, you know, when it came the opportunity to get into the main event, you know, in some high stakes leagues, I said, man, you know, I've been, I've been studying for all this time through the break, you know, still listening to podcasts. Like there's no way I'm not going to play now, you know? <laughs> right. So, it, you know, it felt like I had all this time to just, uh, you, know, you have to do something with it. So, um, so Doug, um, uh, you know what? I, I haven't really had too many guests too familiar with the with the CDM, um, which is the Diamond Challenge. I think it, it, it's called now on on the NFPC. Scott Jenstad um, was a little uh, knowledgeable on it. So I was I was just wondering if you could you know walk me through some you know possible you know tips maybe you have for maybe myself who might try it or anyone who's you know doesn't understand this kind of format. Yeah absolutely so there's two main contests one is a rotisserie which we're familiar with a five by five so those categories are the same and that's where I tend to spend most of my time and then there's also a a points league, but, um, you know, in this league, every, every player is assigned a fixed salary for the year and you have to feel the team, you know, for a $30 million salary cap. So when you move somebody into your lineup, you can, you can put anybody in there you want, but, uh, you know, it has to be within, uh, you know, that amount. And, um, and so, so it always, it becomes about best bang for the, the buck, you know, not a lot different than an auction approach where you got a fixed budget and, you know, you right. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doug, but the, I just want to ask you one question. Does the cost change at all? Or that cost stays with the player the whole year? The whole year it stays. Okay. The and the position stays the same. There's no multi-position. There's um, a fixed position and a fixed price for, uh, for every player. And, so, you know, you, you have to average about 1.1 million per player and the range of the players goes from a low of about 400,000 up to, you know, approaching 2 million. And so if you want to play a, a guy that's approaching 2 million, then, you know, you're going to need some four or $500,000 guys to stay within, you know, within the budget. So, right. you know, so the keys but also because you have access to the entire player pool, just like everybody else in the contest. Right. Um, you, you really need to generate, you know, quality uh, stats. I mean, you, you need to, uh, to, in this, I think some of the keys, you have to nail the, the three ratio categories because uh, it's, you can maybe make up for deficits in the counting stats area later in the league, but it's harder in uh, this format to make up for a deficit in you know, right. earn, run, earn run average or uh, batting average in, in that case. But, um, and, and there's not a lot of uh, margin for errors. So, um, but, but the good side is uh, because you got a deeper bench and you can replace uh, a number of players, you know, you can, you can shoot for some of the high ceiling guys that maybe you wouldn't in a normal NFBC because if if they flame out, uh, you know, after one or two weeks, you can drop them and you got the entire pool of players to pick from to right. replace them. There's no uh, fab uh, sort of thing. Right. So the so the pool is not limited to who might be available in a fab. This is the whole playing field besides that 
that thought on your team is available. Right. So theoretically, right. two people in a league could have the exact same team because you have access to those, right. those same players. So it becomes important to, um, you know, if I was to give advice to nail uh, those, you know, below average uh, salary people that are going to be uh, major mm -hmm. contributors, you know, uh, a Corbin Burns, for instance, this year is 800000 on the uh, diamond challenge versus, you know, having to spend, you know, 1.6 or 7 million for, uh, for a Bieber or a DeGrom or somebody along that line. And so, mm. you know, so he becomes somebody that if, if you think you can count on him, you know, he could fill your staff out, uh, you know, rather well. And, and then you, you need to look for those emerging players, you know, when, when Tatis broke in, you know, the rookies are generally 400,000. So if, or if some of those emerge, you know, you're going to want to add those to your, uh, to your staff as well. But, um, but it's, it really, at the end, I like using Babs for this also to put that plug in, uh, you know, where, where can I buy the most skills for the least amount of money? Uh, you know, no different than we're trying to do when we're drafting or, uh, or, or on an auction as well. Right. That makes sense. And so do you have uh, a maximum number of moves you can make throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, you can't, I think it's 16. Um, okay. Um, so, you know, starting with your, you know, you start 20, I think it's 24 players and you have a bench of 12. So you get a pretty big roster to, um, you know, to begin with, but then you can, so you want to start with a, a team because at least half of those you're going to have for the whole year. Right. You can drop and replace uh, 16 and add a free agent or two at the, at, at the end of the year. If at least that was the old rules. I haven't checked if that's actually, the, yeah, I just, I just, I just hopped on it now and I saw that the uh, starting lineup of 28 and a bench of 15. Okay, so those those have been the benches increased slightly, but right. And it's interesting too how twenty eight is the right number. Yeah, and there's designated relief pitching spots, so it's not just nine general pitchers. The start right. uh, six starters, three relievers, and then one flex, so a total right. of ten pitchers. That's that's pretty interesting. I have to give this more of a deeper look. I I, I think I've been sleeping on this a little bit. Um, it seems you know, like the flex it's um, is nice. So. Um, you know, because some weeks you might, you know, have a number of pitchers that uh, have nice matchups. So you can move to seven, seven starters, but, um, but you really have to nail all, all 10 categories in this, in this format to, uh, you know, to compete for the, for the overall, you can't, it's very rare that I've seen that uh, you could be way off in a category like saves or steals and, um, and compete for the overall title title. You could still be competitive in your league, but, um, you really, you really need to maximize all 10 categories, which you should be able to do if you've got access to the entire player. Cool. Nice. That's interesting. It's good. I, that helped me a lot because, uh, I, I'm really trying to gauge whether or not it's, um, something I want to get, 
involved with, but it's just like something else that my brain wants to try, right? Uh. <laughs> well, a, so in the next uh, re, in the next release on Babs, uh, two of my favorite articles that I get to write. One is on auctions, and the other one is on salary cap leads. So, oh, great, uh, awesome! You'll get to see that in more detail here in a, in another week or so. Perfect, perfect. So yeah, so let's talk about auctions. Um, I know you guys are pretty involved in the auction drafts, right? So um, actually, before before we get into auctions, I wanted to ask one more question about the um, your standard um, one the 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 satellite leagues that don't have overall components, and I just wanted to get you guys thoughts on um, any you know change of strategy when you're not playing hoodie overall, and you know have you ever tried something that's completely out of the ordinary um, in terms of you know team builds? Um, so go ahead, guys. Um, what do you guys got here? Uh, I think in general there's room for more of that variance in the standalone leagues. Um, a lot of people will punt, uh, will punt a category, sometimes even two. Um, I tend to try to stay balanced. I, I, I guess there is one unique league I play in. is It's called the KJ, which is KJ Duke. He's kind of a pioneer of different types of games. Anyway, he, uh, he's got this contract league where it's uh, based on the actual salaries of the players. So it's a draft, and you, you pay – so much in relation to the, you know, sort of like CDM, I guess, in that sense. But uh, anyway, there's a, there's a prize for um, manager of the year, which is, is a component of how many, based on how much you spent and how many points you get. It's a complicated formula. Of course, with KJ, everything's got a formula. But uh, anyway, this particular one, I, I teamed up with Mark Cerebo, Gecko, who I think you said is going to be one of your guests coming up or something like that. Yep. Anyway. This guy, he's, he's, he's always thinking about how to, uh, you know, win, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. never leaves a stone unturned. And we didn't have any, uh, we, we decided we're going to go for the manager of the year award and have a cheap team. Um, and we determined that there wasn't an at-bat uh, minimum. So we drafted all pitchers to start with, pitcher, 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 and everybody's kind of wondering what we're doing. So we did like, 10 straight pitchers or 13. And then our strategy was to try to win, sweep all the pitching points and play one batter for one series on one weekend and and win the average category. So to do that, that, we had to draft players that could not put up any stats, you know, so there wasn't that in the, so that we started drafting Chipper Jones and we drafted some dead guys and some Japanese guys and, Old Greg was pulling his mustache out up in Iola, I think, because we were uh, we, he didn't have the players in the pool, so uh, oh. we a bit of a problem with that. But anyway, it didn't quite work, almost. So if you get Mark on, uh, you can ask him about that sometime. But that was a, that was a craziest strategy, and yeah, that, that's the craziest well, one. I've, I've learned a lot of things from uh, <laughs> um, here, Rob, but I haven't quite got to the point of drafting dead guys yet. <laughs> Now, now Sean Childs might say I had some that year I had those injured pitchers, and uh, he might have been right, but um, that's probably as extreme as I've ever heard. That's amazing. I mean, this is 
we're really giving the listeners something here. I mean, this is what they come to the Pull Herder podcast for, you know, to get strategies on on, on picking dead people to play. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, if it almost worked, that's that's even more amazing. But yeah. I guess, like you said though, or, or, right, John, like you you saw the rules and you played to the rules and you tried, you know, you tried to push it to an extreme level to win. And you know, I think that's um, what's so awesome about this game is 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 you get those strategies, you know, like I know my head to head um, category league, my, you know, my keeper league, my home keeper league, um, you know, we this year for the first time, cause TBS didn't have the capability to do it for weekly, but add like an innings pitch minimum, you know, because we always had guys bordering on the verge of, well, I just won't, you know, put pitchers in there that will get me any, you know, damage my ratios. Like, oh, maybe even pick a guy who's not, you know, going to even play. And, you know, but obviously, you know, um, we would call, you get called out on that real quick. And so, and it never really got to that level, but with people who towed that line of, okay, like one or two starters and then, you know, fill it in with um, a starter who has a relief qualification or, you know, a reliever at the starter qualification and just try to keep your innings down as much as possible. But, you know, again, just playing to the league format. Um, that's, that's interesting. So Doug, you've never tried anything that crazy, huh? But well, do, you change, do you change at all much? And then in something with a, with no overall Doug, or you pretty much draft the same way? You know, I, um, I think you can make some slight, variances uh, I don't you know if you have an overall you really can't be far off in categories like saves and and steals but you could still win a you know a standalone league if you're middle of the pack or lower in you know a couple of those categories but um, I, I really don't change the approach that much. It's more, you know, kind of following how that draft is going and what others are doing. And so if steals uh, aren't as important, then maybe I'll, I'll wait on a couple of guys that I wanted a little bit longer than I normally would have. But uh, in general, uh, you know, I'm still trying to, you know, to field a balanced team. I still think that's the best approach overall. Right. Me too. I think that makes sense. It's just, um, I feel like, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let my brain go too far and too uncomfortable to what I'm, you know, normally doing. It's like you have to train yourself to draft a whole different way. But, um, all right. So let's get back to the auction talk. Cause, uh, I think everyone loves a good old auction. So, um, tell me about some of the, um, auctions that you guys play in NPC and, you know, um, let me know, what do you feel is most important when, when you enter and into an auction room, um, you know, playing the room, uh, you know, um, auctioning the players, what, what do you feel the best strategies are? Yeah, well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, everybody's got their auction strategies, right? I've listened to quite a few of your different podcasts. Uh, I learned new this year that you could hypnotize a room. So I got to try that. And Mr. Ariel told told me about that one, so I, I should try that. Uh, oh, really? What what does that involve? How, I don't how, know. How does this work? Yeah, yeah. He's Mister Auction, and he he was describing on a podcast how he his voice hypnotized the room. So, uh, yeah, everybody got hypnotized apparently. So I'm gonna try that. I don't know. 
wow hypnotized that's the yeah i'll have the word i would use to describe that but okay Uh, interesting i I think uh i've not had super great success in auction so i'm i hope to change that at some point here um I think I, I just run out of money too quick. I go stars and scrubs almost every time. And uh, I just need to be a little more patient. And that's hard for me to do in an auction. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and you, if you spend some money on closers uh, and you buy a couple big pitchers and a couple big bats and, uh, and then you're, you're shopping in the discount aisle for a while uh, after that. So uh, I always admire uh, Dave Potts is a great auction guy and, Man, he keeps getting uh, closers. I'm thinking, what is he doing? He just picked up Shane Green for $3, and he picked up <laughs> at the end of the year. He spent $10 on closers, and he's got, you know, 70 saves or whatever. Wow. Yeah. So there's there's definitely a lot of good auction players, and it's it's a fun strategy because you can get whoever you want, obviously, and you can, you can grab a – you know, some, some unique combos that you couldn't do in a draft, right? But Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I love the, um, the draft, you know, the auction uh, itself, you know, it's, it's such a grind five, six hours, uh, you know, up, up and down of, you know, as opposed to a draft that only takes, you know, a couple of hours to, to get done. But I, I really feel better now, you know, and, You'll see this in my auction article, Rob, that, um, you know, part of Babs, you know, it really hit home to me, you know, when, when Ron and others talked about that we spend all this time over valuations, but really there's only a, you know, 60 some percent chance that a player's actual value is going to come within $5 plus a minus of what you know, what those valuations are. And, um, you know, so I found that liberating to then just move to, you know, I'm going to construct the team that I want and I'm going to try to go get that team and have enough wiggle room and what I think I got to pay that I have, you know, um, but if I want this guy at $25, I don't, if I got to go to 29 on him, you know, that's great. And, uh, and others, I might be able to get lower where it used to be, if it was a $25 guy and I went to 27 that, you know, you felt like the room was ridiculing you because you overpaid for. Right. Right. And that's such, that's such an amazing line. That was a liberating line that, you know, that, that you read in the eBooks about Babs and like, you know, like you said, the 65% chance plus or minus $5. So that's a $10, like, you know, range, um, and it's fascinating, you know, to, you know, when you really, you know, focus in on the players that you want and you, re- like you said, Doug, you know, the 25 to 27, it, it, you have to get it out of your brain that you're going to be that accurate anyway to, you know, to say that he's going to be, you know, that number. So if you want to go up to 29, 30, you know, it's not something um, that shouldn't, you know, be a part of your, your, your strategy. You know? Yeah, I think you got to think, yeah, like I think Jeff Zimmerman brings this out too in his process book, right? You think along the ideas of percentages. What is the percentage chance that Yelich, for example, is going to perform as a first rounder, right? Or at, what are the percentages that he will earn his draft pick and think along those lines. Or, and, and I think if we can keep that in mind, I think that helps a lot. 
Mate, mate, yep, totally makes sense. It's uh, the auction room is is great. It's I think it's a format um, that definitely need to um, have experience in, you know, and, and also it, it's it's important to not um, get too caught up in like I think everything that's going on. At least in my opinion, you know, you try to focus on everything you can, but um, I would I would always try to do too high too too much um, focused on like you know being aware of people's mannerisms and you know how are they nominating at some point you know it's good to know those things but you know you really got to focus in on what you're you're trying to do in the draft um, but um, so I wanted to ask you guys uh, about a couple of players um, let's get into some player talk right now and I wanted to see if you have any players that you feel like the market has been falling asleep on so far um, through some of the um, early drafting this year. So, um, so if you guys have a couple of players in mind you want to throw out there. Yeah, I'll be happy to go first. I, I think it's a, a unique year. I, I've we've found it fascinating as to the difference in, uh, you know, market values, you know, this year versus last year and how much they've changed based on that 60 game schedule and, um, players who, uh, you know, contracted virus or were hurt or, you know, the Baez's and J.D. Martinez, you've heard all the stories about didn't get to watch their videos and, you know, therefore it impacted their year or, um, and we all know that throughout a, you know, 160 game, uh, you know, schedule, people are going to have, you know, a really good 60 games and maybe not so good. So, Right. You know, so my list, you know, I, I'll just look at, you know, as I mentioned, an Indians fan, you know, Carlos Santana uh, right. hits, hits 200 and, um, and it felt like it was a down year. And, you know, he was a 10th, 11th round sort of player last year. And now you can get him 10, you know, 10 rounds uh, later here. So there's a number of of uh, guys along that line. And most of them are a result of, they're really good players with a great track record, but they just had a very poor 2020. Right. Yeah, uh, Rob, I just pulled a couple ADPs from last year's main event and then compared it to February's OC uh, ADP. Okay. So just in like JD last year, 26 ADP, 95 right now. Wow. Uh, Glaber Torres, 31 last year, main event, 67 right now. Baez, 35, and now he's 75. Paddock, 41 last year, 112 right now. Altuve, 43, now he's 96. So, I mean, the 60-game season, I mean, this is great that everybody's putting so much into last year, I think. I mean, it's good for it's good for people that aren't putting everything into last year, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, um, yeah, I mean – we changed our minds so much, right? In 60 right. games. It's yeah. just, it's, it, it's mind blowing. It's definitely going to be an interesting year to see, you know, obviously, you know, within the range of outcomes of, of being right on player evaluation, some of these guys may be, you know, uh, the decline is, is true, but for the most part, right. you know, you, I, I'm giving, I'm giving a little more benefit of the doubt to see like in, in, in a full hundred games, you know, 
more 100 games, they they would have um, brought their skill level back to, you know, levels they displayed in previous years for sure. Um, so how do you guys feel about the pitching right now, the, the starting pitching landscape? It, it's um it's pretty it's pretty intense. Um, so are you are you going to be in on that or are you are you um forced are you doing the forced zag like saying you know I, I'm not gonna try to win with the pitchers that may um, be more scarce in terms of um you know putting up um innings pitched or are you gonna try to craft a way of building a pitching staff in a different way? You know I think Rob the um it's back to ADP and market cost. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, John and I did uh, you know, drafts back in Chicago several years ago and a fellow named Gary back then, um, he would draft pitchers, you know, in the first, second and third round. And we all thought that was a crazy strategy and um, almost like, you know, what's this guy doing? Okay. Right. Um, but the, you know, and he had some success with it. And, you know, if he hit those pitchers, obviously that was a big thing as, as it always is. But, but the difference back then was most of us in the industry, after 10 rounds, we might've had two pitchers, you know, out of 10. And so the market price for pitchers was you could wait because everybody was waiting. And you could still field, you know, six or seven starters with full-time innings in the next 10 rounds and, and have a staff that, you know, you could be competitive with. So you didn't need to spend uh, your top picks uh, on pitchers. But today, it's a panic. It's, uh, you know, the landscape is changing. There's so few people that are going to get the innings and the and the wins and it's viewed that these guys are a premium. And so that's now pushed the, the market up and that's the price to pay. And so I personally don't think you can say, well, I'm gonna wait on pitchers to you know round six like the old days, because back then maybe you know a dozen pitchers were taken, but now maybe uh, you know three or four times that will be taken. That it's not unusual that after five rounds every team has, you know, somewhere between two or three, uh, you know, pitchers other than some of those that are trying to be different. So I think uh, it's still important to have a quality staff. And right now I just view it that the market has pushed the price up and that's the price to pay. And if we want, you know, to have a competitive pitching staff, we'll have to uh, spend a couple of our earlier picks on pitchers. Right. Great. The market is the market is the market. <laughs> right on. Yep. Right. Yeah, I'll probably be similar, uh, Rob. I, I, I'll have, I'm sure I'll have four yellow in the first 10, maybe five, right? So in uh, probably one or two uh, in the first three or four, uh, I just, there's maybe those full-time pitchers are going to be a premium, right? And uh We'll see what the spring brings and what manager news happens and how they're going to use uh, rosters and such. But uh, I think there's an advantage to having the, the horses up top, I think. Right. Absolutely. I think it's the way it's been playing out in my in my drafts. Um, like I said, when I try to do like a mock draft against myself and I throw some guys into the Babs list and I see my roster and when I'm just like, when I want to fill in, backfill the pitching, it's just, no, no, no. I keep saying no, no, no. And uh, at that point, there's still so many good um, bats that 
um, that are available, or, or, you know, they'll just, I know yeah. I'm going to play every day with good skills, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's just the way it's like you guys said, it's just, it's, it's just the market. It's the way it's playing out. And um, you know, yeah. if, if you want to move into a house for X amount of money, <laughs> right. You're going to have to pay X yeah. amount of money. <laughs> That's the way it is. So, all right. So to close this out, I want to, I want to hear some guys, um, a pitcher and a batter from each one of you that's going past 380 P that might carry your team to the promised land this year. Who you, who wants to go first? I'll let John go first. He's going. Uh, all right. I'll, I'm writing uh, this one down too. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's any way that'll lead you to the promised land after 300, but uh, some there's several candidates that could be good. I think that'll help your team a lot. I think I'll do, I'll do Elvis Andrus for my buddy cause Elvis is still alive. So uh, Elvis <laughs> okay. Andrus. I like that. Uh, that's for a batter pitcher. I think it'll probably be one of these uh, relievers, right? There's so many relievers uh, that could really be a stud reliever yet. That's that are going after 300. I mean, just today, uh, Jordan Hicks, I don't know exactly where he's going, but he had a monumental bullpen session or something like that. I mean, the, the words that are used to describe these guys, uh, these performances in the spring are kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> monumental. Yeah. What's, yeah. Uh, what's the, um, what's the, what's the requirement of monumental? <laughs> I don't know. But I better, better move them up. <laughs> uh, the spring training helium. That's um, it's yeah. big, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, you just got to decide what what to believe and what's really not important, right? But right, I took I I I took Hicks. Um, actually, me 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 and Jenny Butler in a tag team league, we took Hicks. Um, right oh, before yeah. right before two hundred, because nice. yeah, you know what? We just felt really strong about him, like, and we felt really strong that Gallegos would be the guy, you know, okay. who's more inclined to pitch like the multi multi inning role and. It was one of those upside plays. It was like either him or Greg Holland. And we're like, let's right. go with the kid who throws one or two. Who, and, you know, who, who, who was the Cardinals closer before he got hurt. And, um, yeah. you know, last year he could have maybe been ready, but he decided to opt it out anyway um, with the COVID. So um, maybe, yeah. maybe a pitcher after 300, maybe Adovino or Jonathan Hernandez or one of those guys. But, you yeah, Adovino is interesting. Right, right. Yeah. Who knows what they're going to do there? Joey Corey, I right. think it's, uh, who knows what he's got up his sleeve. Doug, who you got for us to, um, going late? You know, late? I think there's, there's several that are intriguing, but I'll just, you know, narrow it down. As, a, as an Indians guy, I'm optimistic that Ahmad Rosario is going to uh, be a, a worthy replacement for um, – Lindor, maybe not even playing short. Uh, you know, there's plenty of holes in the Indians lineup. But, you know, in 2019, I saw him being drafted in the fourth, uh, fifth round, uh, somebody with a little pop and some speed. And, and uh, you know, the Indians are going to probably let people uh, run. And it's a better hitter's park and fresh start for him out of the big city. And so, you know, he still has, in my opinion, that five – that five category uh, potential here, if uh, you know, if if given the opportunity. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Rosario, and it's interesting that he's in the 300s, and uh, Andre, you know, Gimenez is going in the 10th or 11th round. Like the market's already figured out which of the two of those guys are gonna be uh, better. 
it's fascinating. Uh, I totally agree with that assessment of the marketplace on them because, again, we'll go back to just 60 games ago. Ahmed Rosario was trending up as a 24-year-old, you know, kid who, you know, prospect, big prospect who was starting to figure out his hit tool and he started growing into his body. And as a Met fan, I watched it and, you know, he, he had – he had stretches where it looked like he was, okay, you know, he figured everything out. And last year, he didn't look the same. But again, you know, over a larger sample size, maybe he turned that around. And again, as a Met fan who watched um, the um, Andres Jimenez, um, I, I mean, as a baseball player, he just pops out to me. He's just like a, a wizard with a glove. He makes contact. And I think he's going to yeah. grow into some power. And it's fascinating. And if the... I think the the three the you know the three um, spots that he's eligible for second third short is huge also. But again, yeah, it's so fascinating that in sixty games we have a guy who might start off in the minor leagues going you know hundred spots ahead of a guy who sixty games ago was starting to creep into that territory of okay these twenty twenty type guys that you know we're gonna you know build our teams with you know power speed um, so. It is. It's it's very interesting. I'm um I'm glad we got Lindor because I just love his personality. I love everything he stands for and he's about. Um, the fact that he called Plesac out last year, you know, about being such a you know careless jerk off uh, with COVID was was awesome because that's a real leader to me. Is one who's going to get out there and tell everyone that they're doing wrong, you know. Um, but they also gave up some good players in, in, in those two. So um, what's yeah, so the I'm feel? Heartbroken. I was heartbroken. I thought the Indian <laughs> was a fan. You know, I was, I grew up a fan and been a season ticket holder that, uh, you know, the Tatis deal should have been a Lindor deal and they should have, you know, painted a mural of him in the, but now I guess I'm over it and I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that Bab, I'm glad that Babs thinks that Lindor's skills aren't up to his draft uh, position. And I'm hoping that uh, Rosario and Jimenez. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you guys are walking up Babs advertisement today. <laughs> that uh, lifelong Cleveland fan. That's uh, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So um, you know, on the like... pitchers, Rob, so um, I have to mention this because in 2017, um, you know, I, I fell in love with Robbie Ray. <laughs> um, yep. He was uh, a star on many of my teams. He uh, had an ERA under three and a whip of, you know, 1.15 and, you know, striking out uh, 11, 12 batters, uh, you know, an inning and was just a phenomenal year. And, um, and I've been failing miserably on him uh, every year since, especially last year. But now, you know, I think his price is finally right. So I'm going to say, you know, the guy in the uh, 300 plus range to uh, grab on the pitching side is is Robbie Ray. But uh, but please, please, uh, you know, have a cushion on your ratios before you do that. He'll get you the K's. But uh, you only right. need seven. You only need seventeen Kyle Hendricks to balance him out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, all right, guys, you made it through the whole podcast. How do you guys feel about this? Hey, that was not bad. We're just talking baseball. It's great. Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys wow, taking the time out all night. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's pretty cool. Um, can't wait to 
you know, get a chance to meet you guys. Maybe um, and yeah. I don't know if you guys uh, attend first pitch in Arizona. Do you, do you do any of those? Yeah, we yep. have in the past. But, yep. um, cool, sweet. So yeah, hopefully we'll catch up then. And um, I'm not gonna do Las Vegas this year. Maybe uh, maybe next year. But um, I, you, again, I really win that. You. Uh, if you win that DC again, you're gonna have to. Yeah, I I know, right? Uh, I guess so. I guess you're right. Um, <laughs> but again, I appreciate you guys taking your time out to talk some baseball with me. It's been it's been really cool. I think um, uh, again, I learned I learned so much through this uh, this journey of talking to people um, in the fantasy baseball realm, especially when it's 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 so much knowledge from the past, you know, like I'm always interested about how the sport got to where it is now. Right. You know, and how, how, how it was played and how it's played now and where it might go in the future. And I think to understand where it's going to go in the future, it's good to, you know, know where it came from and right. um, hearing stories, you know, from, you know, night, you know, putting your, your lineup into a phone it, it <laughs> is, it's fascinating. You know, it's a, Really, you know, I think we take for granted what we have at our fingertips sometimes. So, yeah, you know, sure. to know it started like that is it, it, pretty, it's pretty great. So, yeah. So, um, guys, good luck in your league, and um, All right. you too, yeah. Man. All right. Hopefully, the uh, I'll, I'll see you guys soon. All right. Thanks. Um, great. Thanks Alrighty, everyone, that will conclude this episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Remember, if you're listening to the show and you want to support the show, the best way to do that um, for me, and it's extremely helpful, is to do a rating or review on Apple Podcast. Um, and if you want, you can screenshot that review that you left and DM it to me over at Hitter on Twitter, and I will send you some Pull Hitter swag if you're interested. Um, and once again, extremely, extremely grateful for the support of the show. And um, I'm going to keep it going. We've got some big shows this week coming up. We've got Rudy Gamble coming on the show. We've got Mark Zerebro and Matt Modica. Um, yeah, fascinating. I'm going to keep it rolling right up until draft time. And yeah, until then, um, remember to smarten up and don't be a bag of shit.